Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Are you guys just singing it poorly, or do I just not know this song? I'm singing it okay. Kessler, uh, a little loose at the end there. I think I have a different ending to that song in my head than the real one. I don't even know what song that was. I was trying to sing along, but the Sanford and theme song. Yeah, they sing it all the time in Scrubs as well. Yeah, that's that's the that's where I got it. It's like on my top two most stuck in your head songs of all time. Wow. Well, guys, how's it going? Welcome to an episode of The Command Zone, your number one destination for all things Commander-related. Today, we have a special guest, but first, my name is Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And we've got Alex The birthday Kessler. boy. Birthday. And hey. hey. Welcome back to The Command Zone. This is your uh, guest host, Alex Kessler. That's right. You guys may know Alex from The Masters of Modern. We shout him and Ben Bateman out every single episode at the Woo. end. We shout you guys out every episode, kind of twice, because we do it like right really? before we talk about things, and then we do it at the end. Wow. So you guys, only, you guys only do it once. Let me put it in. But we have so twice sad. as many episodes. Oh, right. Ooh, true. There you go. True. So true. At a we're, certain point. we're equalized at this point. <laughs> but we're falling behind rapidly. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't know, it was Alex's birthday recently. In fact, Woo! yesterday. Happy Yay! birthday, Mr. Kessler. Thank you. How does it feel? Uh, I am now a year older and a year wise. No, I don't know. I feel exactly the same. Yeah. That's usually what happens. Everyone's like, oh, man, you're that age where you start feeling super old. And I'm like, I, I, no, 28. Oh. No, you got two more years. Yeah. No, no. But like, I, even then, I, I, I feel like I'm so young at heart that I'm never going to have to worry about that problem. Sure. You are a true child at heart. Yeah. Let me just tell you guys a story about turning 30, because I was once your age, and I remember thinking like, oh, these 30-year-olds, they don't know. No. Josh. Like, it'll be fine. Everyone Mr. Was like, adult. Yeah. <laughs> then you turn 30, and you realize... Oh, this sucks. <laughs> just wait. It's just wait, gentlemen. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you in a couple years. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind. We'll see how much it does suck. Well, no, not I, just... I, I don't want to know if I want to get on a podcast about like the crippling anxiety of being in your 20s. <laughs> <If we're laughs> no, doing... just, like, enjoy it while it lasts. In two years, if we're still doing the command cast, I will be very happy and impressed. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I have, I have two never... Two more years. Two yeah. more years. So I... it's not just your birthday. <laughs> yeah. But... Also, the modern pro tour, the modern pro tour. So this must be like one of the great weeks of your existence. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this is it's like magical Christmas. Star Wars is back. Modern pro tour is around. It's your birthday. birthday. 
I really can't complain about anything happening. You're on the, the command last... zone. I'm on the command zone. This is our birthday What's gift to you. What's the release? So we're recording this now. This is Thursday. On the fourth. The, the eve of the Modern Pro Tour, but when people are listening to it, it'll be Tuesday. The Pro Tour is over. So why don't you give us a recap of how the Pro Tour went? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, well, it's crazy how well that one player did when he played that other guy in that spell. And then I'm really sad that PVB wow, didn't make, hedging make it your, all the hedging way in your there. Bets and here. the fact that Team Eureka had a pretty decent finish. Also, the oh, Eldrazi and that crazy, deck. That one crazy yeah. deck that oh, yeah, no saw, one's not but, coming. Yeah. Like, everyone thought Eldrazi was going to just be it. And then that one deck, all those cards were legal and modern forever. No one found that deck before. That crazy. Insanity. That guy can brew. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm Turns I'm, out bribery yeah. is a real card. Make sure to listen to our episode where we at least tried to get the winner and or some of the top eight players to guest uh, on the podcast right now. D- they come you, out on the same day as this one. If you're listening to this one, you should listen to that one too. Cause oh, yeah. If you had to make one big prediction going into the weekend... What now that be? the weekend is over, Eldrazi Mimic is going to be the card that everyone's like, oh, right, that's a card, and it's insane because you get to play it for free off of Ayavugan. And what's the combo here? Is it just turning into a 4-4? Four, four? You uh, turn to that, turn 3, play Reality Smasher, get in for 3, and then turn 4, war- lead Insanity. Get in for 3? No, you get in for a 7 ten. or 10. Two because... Reality Smasher. No, no, not Reality Smasher. Sorry. Uh, Mattery <laughs> Shaper. Mattery Shaper. So, you play, uh, so yeah. turn 0, you play... I have Ugin, or turn one, I have Ugin into Mimic. Then turn two, you can play Mattery three Shaper. Drop. Shaper. And then um, turn four, you Reality Smash. Reality Smasher, because that's when you can tap. Seems Ugin good with that Mimic. Ma- yeah, no, it's insane. That deck, I'm super worried about it. <laughs> All right. That's good All right. to know. Eldrazi, by the way, a, a fan favorite in EDH. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Oh, Tron won't make the top eight. I can agree with that. I think Tron's in a bad spot There won't spot be a right single now. copy of Tron in the top eight. Tron, I'm going to say Tron... It's looking okay to maybe possibly, but maybe not make the top eight. That was so vague. <laughs> You're hedging your there bets. There is a chance. <laughs> that, was like, that was my 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 hedge in the beginning. Yeah, I'm, there you I'm go. I don't know. Listen, things. this is not the modern zone. I don't know much about modern. I only the know the modern zone. <laughs> there was a moment where the Masters of Modern podcast was going to be the modern zone. When I thought like the zone was going to be the branded, we actually I remember talking thing. about that. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, I was like, we don't have to be that tied together. You guys could have like a name that sure. You know, is cooler. Yeah. Just, now you're masters. Yeah. Otherwise, you would have been zoners. Zoners. Yeah. You guys, you guys are like. I imagine you as the characters of the show. What's the show where they traveled through portals a lot? The video game sliders, portal? sliders, from sliders, the 90s, which is a callback. And we're more on the like we're on a mountaintop and like you guys are monastery monks, monks yeah, that are go. like people come to with questions. Yeah, that's like the uh, it's like you climb the mountain and you get to the monk but you and you can ask any question in the world and the monk will answer it but he can only answer it with one word. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. deep. So we're yeah. like the Jeskai, you guys are planeswalkers. Okay. I'll, right. take I'll take yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I'll take it. Speaking of Jeskai, uh we had a little bit of a snafu, a rule snafu. Oh right. Last, I was like where are you la- going with last this? Last episode, yeah, well because <laughs> Narset is Jeskai yep. and Okay. Okay, so we were like, talking about <laughs> Yeah. We were talking about uh, the card Preacher, which was one of Craig's um, pet cards, and we said incorrectly, we're redacting what we said, uh, that Preacher gets around Hexproof. Now, it's a little bit complicated because Preacher does still target a creature, Mm -hmm. and even though your opponent chooses the target, you're still in control of the effect. So Hexproof does stop the Preacher effect. Um so it doesn't work on Narset, which is why the Jeskai, awesome segue. Uh, yeah, the Preacher is still sweet, however. Still a good card. This card's still awesome. It's Great just, art, straight out of an anime, unfortunately. I'm sorry if you went out and bought a bunch of Preachers so that you could take care of the Narset so there are problems in your play group. I'm very sorry. Yeah, instead just, just buy a... Wrath uh, of God. 
Yeah, yeah that's there you it. go. That's or good. what's a creature like? Preacher, if it worked on Narset, would just. I mean, they have to get the creature back before they can do anything. True. And the best part is they would have to choose it. They would have to be the one that'd be like, yes, you get my Narset. But we don't want to have any cards out there that are really good against Narset because then Narset wouldn't be quite so broken, right? So let's not... I'm not Isn't there like the Lantern? Can't you Lantern and then use Preacher to steal her? Sure, but then there's two cards. It's way harder than one. Yeah, but one's a land. Lands are free. Just Fleshbag Marauder her, guys. Yeah. Got, y'all Speaking of pet cards of Alex Kessler... <laughs> Fleshbag Marauder. Love Fleshbag. That's what. That's my nickname for you, no, Alex. I really don't want that. I call him, I call him Fleshbag Kessler. <laughs> Bless you. Well, he's allergic <laughs> to that nickname. No. <laughs> Clearly, no bueno. All right, let's move on to our main topic today, folks. It is uh, improving your deck. It's something that we talk about a lot on the show, uh, and we sort of nebulously talk about it, and we never really focus on what it means to improve a deck. Uh, specifically, in the case of taking a deck from uh, V1 to V2, if that makes sense. Uh, it's one of the most important parts about EDH. You can't just assemble a deck and just decide, all right, it's good forever because you get to play it a few times. There's a lot of testing and stuff that needs to go into it. And Alex Kessler is here, and he's brought his Marin of uh, Clan Nel Toth. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. No, you have to say it like this. Marin of Marin. Clan Nel Toth. <laughs> Toth. Toth. <laughs> okay with that. That's I accept okay. that. Uh, I mean, I'm really afraid now because I prepared a whole podcast on awesome dance moves that you can do. To, that's to, not a good to, podcast to, uh, not, yeah. subject because you have to see it. That's you, true. you can teach people through through music. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about how to improve your deck and sort of uh, basically taking the leap from V1 to V2. And Kessler, you have done this with this deck, correct? Uh, so, yeah, there's an interesting story about where this deck came from that I realized once the subject matter was told and this deck was the one we we're going to play with it. And I can explain away. Go for it. Please do. All right. So my first EDH deck was Teneb way back in... Time Spiral Block. Teneb the Harvester. Teneb the Harvester, which is a green-black-white reanimator deck that dredged a lot and put a lot of cards in their graveyard. These My are sort of like the Elder Dragons 2.0. Between yeah. him and Intet and yeah, the other yeah. guys. Well, they, they, they did the like the allied ones in a set that I didn't play for, but and then they did those during Time Spiral to kind of show the mirror image, blah, 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 blah. But that deck has existed forever, and then... I had Nath, which was a deck that was really unfun for everyone because Nath's job was to make it so all of your cards weren't in your hand anymore, and then I slowly beat you by being a green-black grindy deck that did nothing while you had no cards in hand. It's the most Kessler thing ever. <laughs> Kessler does love hand disruption. Um, and, and like doing a bunch of stuff that doesn't win. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, continue. Uh, so... I realized when Marin came out, I was like, oh, great. I don't have, I, I can change this deck. And I have, uh, you guys might know this, but I have one of every of the two color pairs mm-hmm. right. of decks. So Marin was my, or uh, Nath was my green black one. And then I also had a weird green black white one that I just had forever that I never took apart. And I kind of smushed them together. Because you already and, had a lot of the pieces then. Yeah, because Marin, like Teneb was all about graveyard reanimator dredge to shenanigans. Nath was all about green black value sacrifice get there stuff and so the two decks kind of smushed together into a very adorable Irish apparently and it is fitting deck. no Scottish because if it's not Scottish, Scottish it's crap well uh, it is nice because Marin is standing in front of a dragon-esque creature so it is as though you put two creatures together a dragon yeah. and a human yeah yeah there you go the world came together so this is probably something Nath is a is a elf before anyone shoots me sorry he is an elf I was about it to makes shoot elf you. warriors <laughs> Um, so do we, I mean, how much do I, oh, cause you guys have the video. So, it, okay. I don't have to explain what Nath does. Uh, yeah. It's fine. If you know what Nath does, that's great. If you don't, it's not key to the story. Um, this is probably a process that a lot of people are going through right now because the commander product came out. A lot mm-hmm. of us built decks. And then right around this amount of time is when I find myself with Mizzix, with Mazarek, 
in the same spot where it's like, I played it a few times. Yeah. And so now I'm ready to make tweaks further from like what would be the version one of the deck. Right. And, and version one for a lot of people is also just straight out of the box. That's is, true. Which is great. That's so. true. Yeah. That, and that totally counts, right? It's like whatever is the deck that you play with for a little while and then your brain starts going, well, that card's not in good or man, I wish the deck could do this and blah, blah, blah. And so the process of tweaking the deck so that version two is better and mm -hmm. then version three maybe. And I don't know how far people go. I'm usually done around version three or four. You don't you don't just continuously tweak forever because I feel like I, I mean, feel like maybe I, two yeah. versions and then from that point on it's always like I play one game I'm like oh that card's way worse than I thought or that card is way stronger are there redundancies that I can maybe throw in the deck well it's interesting because that's yeah that's sort of our first question right is how many games do you play with your deck before you start tweaking it you know do you feel like oh I've got a good feel and I can make some changes I sit. You well, know. I was going to say mathematically, it's an interesting question because with 99 cards and you're drawing, say, 20 to 30 of them in a game, uh, you're I mean, actually... 30 would be a lot, I would 30 say. 30 would be a lot, yeah. You're, you're basically missing out on a fifth of your... or four-fifths of your deck every single time you play it unless you're able to add in the consistency like with tutoring and stuff. So for me, it, you have to be able to at least see every card in the deck and then variations on how those cards work together. Oh, see, I, I, I like game one after game one i generally feel like okay these are the things and some of that is with especially with marin and the new commander products you mm -hmm. don't know how those commanders will feel until you really crack it out of the box and see how it plays yeah because experience counters just never existed before so. right like i didn't realize how like how crucial or how insane it is to make sure that because the first time i played it i didn't have all of these like free sac effect creatures that mm -hmm. you get value on immediately when playing her and how much people are going to be like oh i need to kill marin right now because if i don't you'll get experience counters and those right. never go away and so those are things you kind of have to get the first time you feel it, and then you can kind of build things into it. Um, often there are things that I just realize that I always, when I first build a deck, forget to add. So artifact hate and enchantment hate. Yeah, that's the, so true. Like the first time I build a deck, I never put that in there. And then I like play a single game. I'm like, oh, right. You need a way right, to kill artifacts right. and enchantments. I have to be able to deal with my opponent's stuff. I totally forgot that part. Right. And I, like, I think the first thing I added was Caustic Caterpillar into the deck after the first time I played it, which is the uh, Magic Origins 1-1 one, one for 1 green that you can that has literally is a sacrificable um destroy target naturalized. Or enchantment yeah and just because you can recur it he keeps coming back and he's that's right well, folks you can play commons in your deck they're <laughs> often very good uh before we get too far let's actually just read what marin of clan Nototh says she is two black and a green for a three four legendary creature human shaman whenever another creature you control dies you get an experience counter uh, like we said before, you can't get rid of these. These are the, This is the new ability from Commanders in the Commander 2015 set. And at the beginning of your end step, choose target creature card in your graveyard. If that card is converted, mana cost is less than or equal to the number of experience counters you have returned to the battlefield. Otherwise, put it in your hand. So uh, I feel like this is actually different with this deck because you just need to play Marin once and have a couple of experience counters to start right. understanding your deck a lot more, right? Well, and this is also... So like green-black graveyard shenanigan decks cycle through so many cards and so much more than I think other decks. Because, like, correct, if you're playing, like, a blue-white or even a red-white or some other deck, you're only going to see 30 cards. In this one, you're dredging six cards a turn plus tutoring three times a turn plus... Right, this. so you're so getting you're like a good look. One game and you can already feel like, oh, I didn't have a tutor target for this situation where I need it or I didn't have a win condition. I, You know, you kind of get a feel for what cards you need with this deck. But, you know, I recently built a red-white deck and that one has taken many playthroughs to figure out, oh, this needs some way to gain card advantage this needs some way to like get around right. these situations otherwise it just doesn't do anything yeah i think it's totally deck specific i do generally like to play at least a few times 
before and i usually have like a good inkling after one time mm-hmm. eh, this these cards are probably bad or oh i thought this effect was important and it may not be uh but i'll usually play it a couple more times before i actually go through just because the process of pulling the deck apart and then rebuilding yeah. it is so big that i'd rather have like three or four pieces of information you totally could do it after one though and make good changes i just feel like that's going to mean i'm still going to have to do that again fairly soon it's tough too because you're going to have put pet cards in there as well as cute combos or things that you want to pull off but can't in that game and it's going to be tough because sometimes you do have to uh get rid of your babies as they say well after you've played a couple games is such a great point to do that mentally right because when you're building the deck and you haven't played it yet you're like oh if i get these three cards together it's gonna be awesome i'll be able to do this cool thing and then you play Mm -hmm. a game or two and you get your heart broken because you don't win those games and then you're like screw this crazy magical christmas land thing just let me put in a couple cards that like kill all their artifacts yeah exactly i mean inherently and this is something that you notice a lot in the master mod podcast is i lean way more towards just good cards or Mm -hmm. good stuff stuff so like my first inclination when building a deck because you always get to like you put 200 cards on a table and you slowly get rid of them and then i get to 120 i'm like okay what can i cut and my first inclination at that point is just kill every card i love <laughs> because those are the ones that are making like vengevon shouldn't be in an edh deck as much as i love that card in a green black graveyard strategy probably doesn't belong right the, like when you have terastodon and the guy who has undying that kills thing or persist that destroys permanence plus you have these three other permanent destroying things you can cut it down to just the one because eventually you, you don't need six of the same effect and you kind of just have to kill your babies that that's true. really interesting actually and the next thing we have written down is what kind of things are you looking for when you play the deck the first few times so you know that's an interesting thing is and i mentioned it too which is how much of any give you know you need like to fill certain categories right and then that's usually where i find a lot of the changes come is like oh i thought i i, I, I was really worried that like oh this category won't be filled and so i put a ton in and it's like I don't need that that bad or yeah. I don't I definitely never want to have three of that or whatever right it's interesting too especially with the new uh, mulligan rules if you're playing by it you actually this changes a little bit because I think one of the things you need to look for with the new mulligan rule is can this deck function fine with a with the Vancouver mulligan that's actually yeah, that's a super good point I think it's cha- so it's changed recently yeah like how you should build your deck you, you really should have more lands than maybe you used to need you probably should have more ramp than you used to need. I, th- I think people need to cut high drops. I think yeah. that specifically the main thing that rule does is, you know, and I've noticed this because we play Highlander Roulette, which is this other 100-card format, and I almost directly ported my Geist deck to that. But my Geist deck has, like, 15 six drops, and that is not playable in that format. And it's the same thing now happening here because before when I opened a Hammer 7, and I would just throw every six drop back. Yep. Because I'd right. be like, oh, they're going to go to the side. I'm not going to draw these six drops, so I'm going to have a higher chance of getting cards that I can play in the early game, and I'll get those eventually. Now that's not an option. So you really need to cut down on your higher curve pieces or just play all the ramp and all the lands. Yeah, this play. is EDH, man, and people want to play the big stuff. So I think that you got to just make sure your deck allows it in a world where you can't partial Paris. And in that a means world. I think in a just, world. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. not free anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. It used to be a free roll to play as many silver and primordial esque cards as possible or the, all the primordials really. Yeah. And now it's not as much of a free roll because you need to be able to cast those things. Don't play silver and primordial folks. Don't do it. It's banned. <laughs> yeah. It's banned. So banned. It is banned. Uh, Kessler. No one. Yeah. You better kill that baby. Get out of here. Silver and primordial. I, I killed it. It's gone. <laughs> Same as uh, uh, Primeval Titan. Also, not Primeval. Yeah. Primetime. Oh, Primetime is definitely banned. Oh, my gosh. And Emrakul and Uh. Grizzlebrand. All these would be in this deck, the green black. So many, so many. All the banned green and black cards would be in the green and black deck. Yeah, of course. That's why they're banned. 
How many non-green and black cards have gone banned in the last? Well, what was the last? Oh, profit well, no, of Krufix. No, well, it's green. Oh, it's yeah. green. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Green's the strongest color in Commander. I'm gonna say it here. Right Blue now, is you heard clearly it here the strongest first. color in Commander. Yeah, I, think, I think it goes second. actually. I, I think the real controversial statement is I think Green's actually the second best color in Magic. Period. Ooh, Blue is the best. I can't argue against that. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. I think Green's the second best. And I think a lot of that has to do with Modern Magic and Wizards of the Coast. Yes, because right, creature inherent. Yes, there's been a structure. concerted effort by Wizards over the last like seven eight years because they realized that the part of the game that sort of resonates and is the most fun is the creatures. And the creature combat, and so what's the creature color? Green. Right. So what are we gonna? What are we pushing now as a game? Yep. More creatures. Right. So that's we've, just and we've had rampant standard forever. You know. Yeah. But one, well, you had like abrupt decay and like all yeah. these other weird green things that are just like a very, very, very strong. I, I think honestly that red and green have grown the most over the last ten years, and black and white have been put in this weird. Well, blue's definitely weakened from what it, it was. It definitely is yeah. weakened, but like inherently, blue's be- things that are best at yeah. are get things that break the game of Magic. And green too. It just we're kind of learning that mana ramp is really good. <laughs> yeah, ramp, ramp um, cheating stuff out and getting stuff out earlier than yeah, you're supposed to. Really, I mean, it, it was, and part of that is also artifact. So one of the reasons I think green is the worst color in Battle for Zendikar is because other colors can ramp, and right. in early Magic, artifact ramp was everywhere. So green's one good ability wasn't good, but then right. when you ban every artifact ramp spell in the entire game out of every format and green's the only color that can do it you gain a lot of strength for that color fortunately in edh we do have lots of artifact ramp that everyone can use which is very nice now let's talk uh more about improving your deck uh the third thing we have written down here is how much do you take into account what your opponents are playing because i feel like this does make a huge difference when you start playing a deck because if you're just playing against decks that will hose yours no matter what Decks with lots of exile, your graveyard abilities, um, someone that's playing Anafenza, it's going to be very hard to get a very good lock on what works and what doesn't in your deck. True, and sometimes you'll run into commanders, like if Anafenza is on the table, I'm just going to not have a good game, and I'm going to be a sad panda. Yeah, because it's a graveyard hate commander against yeah. a your deck creature. Yeah, it's not even like I'm a blue-red graveyard-based deck, or my I have a black-red artifact-based deck. No, no, it's my I, creatures in my graveyard are the only thing that this deck can accomplish, and if those aren't there... Uh, same, I actually have a Taza deck that if someone plays a Rest in Peace, it just doesn't win. I had to like right. just insert a ton of artif- enchantment hate that wasn't there originally just because I knew if Rest in Peace ever got picked, I would just auto-lose or played. Yeah, that, that card definitely is very powerful. I don't think people give it enough credit. Yeah, I think it's just something to watch out for is you can have this bad taste in your mouth after a game or two, and you can think you need to change your deck a lot, and then you sort of realize, like, well, it's really just that one deck. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's like I don't want to make a ton of changes to my deck based on like there's one deck in my play group or one deck that person was playing that one day. But sometimes you, know. you really want to though. I mean, yeah, I think oh, that's yeah. a very common impulse is like, gosh, that person hurt me so bad. I I'm going to put this and this and this into this deck just so I can deal with that. And, and then you play another game later and you're like, none of these cards do anything against these other decks because I don't have to worry about that stuff because not somebody's not playing that thing. And I've definitely fallen into that category and it's yeah. just something to watch out for. Well, and, and sometimes it's metagame specific. For instance, you know, back in the day, I would only play with Craig and a few of our buddies at All-Star and there's pretty much only four of us. And so, you know, one of our friends, Joel, which I think I mentioned last time I was on oh, here, yes, Joel. would only play with land destruction. Right. Like, like Armageddon's everywhere. Like a and smart so man. And so I would <laughs> edit my decks to be good against those things. Right. You know, but nowadays I play with you guys once in a while. I play with the Riot guys once in a while. I play at Heidi Ho, and that's like a 45 person league that is, I never play against the same people. And because of that, 
I generally structure my decks to have as many answers to as many broad things as possible. Right. And maybe give them recurability more than I do of specific strategies that I need to be able to stop. I think that's actually, a, in general, a good way to start with a deck. And then if you really need it to be meta-dependent, that's when you start making those cuts and figuring out, like, I need a rest in peace or I right. need artifact hate more than usual. I mean, you got to build to your meta if you're in a really insular playgroup, like the four people. And especially if, like, you'll be in these playgroups where everybody has a bunch of decks, but one guy, he only has two. Mm-hmm. And if right. one of those decks is really good against your deck, then okay. You know, it just really depends on the exact situation but i would say in general try not to overblow the amount of sort of i don't know the amount of weight that you put on any one deck that you're playing against when you're sort of playing one of your new decks Mm -hmm. early on agreed and i think that's something also the color philosophy really matters here so like green black that's not as much of an issue because green black are the two color pairs that really can answer anything between the two of them because green can answer anything but creatures black kills creatures and then black and green have the most tutors of any color other than maybe white um but when you go into some of the other colors knowing like okay red and white can't deal with this thing right uh, specifically drawing cards they can't find the things they need or blue and black can't kill anything right or so, black and red <laughs> can't take care of enchantments right yeah. so like knowing what your weaknesses are and making sure you're not walking into you're not taking your only you only have a black red deck and you're going to a room with only green white enchantress decks and you're just like well i'm never going to do anything <laughs> Nobody, that was, that's never happened before. Like, just nobody had any follow-up. Okay. That's what happens when three people are at the table sometimes. You just sit there and you're like, well, I said my thing. I thought Josh had something. I looked at you. I'm like, oh, it's a silence. (laughs) Wow, that's uh, 96 episodes. It's never happened. Okay. So, well, let's move on and we'll talk. You know, this is a subject we can definitely come back to. I think we just only touched on it here. But let's talk about the deck specifically about Marin. Um because this is a really popular commander. I think it's the most popular right it's now. It's actually in risen Trek. in price as well because I believe the pa- the ability here is incredibly strong. I mean, the fact that you still draw the card yeah. if you don't have as many experience counters as the one that you pick. So I don't want to read Marin all the way again, but just to refresh, at your end step, you look at how many experience counters you have, then you choose a creature card in your graveyard. If it's CMC is less than or equal to the amount of experience counters you have, you put it directly on the battlefield. If it's more than the amount of experience counters you have, you take it into your hand. Which Something key insane. about that, though, is that it can be higher. True. You have yes. the choice. Yeah, it's you have not, the choice. You have to reanimate a thing. No, you get experience. to choose. If yeah. you want, you can be like, well, I just want to get my flash whatever creature back and just have it. You can. Right. And I think it's that last part that really pushes Marin into the crazy. Mm-hmm. Because... She's still very useful early in the game when you don't have a lot of experience counters. You're still just getting advantage. You're just getting extra cards. Yeah, and she'll draw right. you a card no matter what. As Even long if as you have, you have a card in your graveyard, you yeah. get it back. So let's talk about... Well, this is an interesting. Like, when you start a building deck, you already talked about you had a couple of decks that were already had, like, their toe in the water, sort of, of what you thought Marin wanted to do. Was there anything when you took Marin that you were like, okay, this deck has to do this? Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of also the segue, but uh, between the two subject matters. Just guy, uh, Narset, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, generally, something I didn't realize was really important was low drop creatures that 
have sacrifice abilities on them. So a card that I've always put on my list of cards that I always like put in the pile of black decks and then always take out is Vampire Hexmage. And I didn't put it in the deck originally, and I realized the fact that you can just sack her, even if it's for minimal value, before once you play Marin, is really good because you get the experience counters from it and rebuy it. All right, let me read Vampire Hexmage. It's black, black for a 2-1 Vampire Shaman has first strike, but the salient detail is sacrifice Vampire Hexmage colon remove all counters from target permanent so there's no cost associated with sacrificing the vampire hex mage a lot of people play that card to just sort of um axe out a planeswalker or something somebody's invested a lot to put a bunch of counters on yeah um but you're saying the important thing was actually that it can sacrifice itself for free well two sides i I do think actually the fact that it could be used as a removal spell or just some type of answer destroy target planeswalker spell is really important um i wouldn't just play a creature that just has the ability to sack it for no effect, or like you gain a life, or some, and that card exists, or like do one damage to someone. That wouldn't be playable. But the fact that it has these inherent values that are important and can just be used if you need to to play in turn two, and then when you play Marin, sack it so that you have one experience, so you can get one of your one drops back or one of your two drops back if you can pull it up enough. Not to mention, Vampire Hexmage, I think, is a card that is severely underplayed. People are always playing stuff with counters on it, right. even if it's a vivid land. I mean, you can really get someone that just doesn't expect. Because usually you play something with counters on it, and if it's a Planeswalker, it's like, well, someone has to attack it to get rid of these counters. I mean, it, it helps, like, if someone's playing an effect creature, getting the minus one counters off your creature. If right. someone's, you know, I have uh, Black Sun Zenith in the deck, so if I, like, get Mirren down to a zero one, so I can wipe the board but save her, I can then bring Hexmage back to get her big again. You this can is, use it to kill Planeswalkers. You can use it to kill every Hydra under the sun. This yeah. is one of those cards that you always hear Magic players talk about, cards that don't cost a lot of mana, so you can play them early. But they can have some sort of good effect, even if you play them late. Yep. You know, those are generally right. very good cards. Which is like, well, yeah, it's a two-one, so early it's fine. It does some stuff, but late it's not just completely worthless. And Vampire Hexmage falls in that category. Although I gotta say, every time I build a deck, it's in the pile, and then it never quite mates the deck because true. All those situations you talked about, they're still not amazing. Like getting rid of counters on a Vivid Land. Well, the land still taps for mana. It, it didn't <laughs> do a lot. Killing a Planeswalker is great, but there's a lot of cards like Hero's Downfall just kills the Planeswalker. You don't have to cast a creature, then sacrifice it. You know, But in this deck specifically, you found the spot where I think Vampire Hexmage and the like. Because Caustic Caterpillar is basically the same card, but it costs a little bit of mana and gets rid of something different. Right. Well, it, yep. it, like what you're saying, this is a perfect storm. It, right. it synergizes with the deck where Hero's Downfall would be actively bad because it's just a one-off spell that I'm never going to see Marin again. can't do anything Marin with Hero's Downfall. can't do anything with it. Yeah. It doesn't give her experience counter, kill a permanent, end is reanimatable. Reanimatable? Reanimatable, yeah. Yeah, there we go. I wish so, I could make up a word. <laughs> uh, and Caustic Caterpillar is kind of the same deal. It costs a little bit more mana, but it's only one... The, the fact that it's only a CMC one means it can come back the turn that Marin normally can come into play. Right. And the fact that artifact enchantments are just everywhere. Like, Planeswalkers aren't nearly as ubiquitous as right. artifacts enchantments. Let me read the card. Cost of Caterpillar, one green for a 1-1 one, one insect. You could pay one in a green, sacrifice the cost of Caterpillar, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Yeah, you're right. So you sack this when Marin comes into play, if you have the mana. That will put an experience counter on Marin. Now Marin has one experience counter. You can choose Costa Caterpillar from your graveyard. It has one CMC, so it comes right back onto the battlefield. Right. So that's pretty good synergy. Now, I wanted to circle back to something you said earlier, Kessler. When did you make the realization? Because you said that it... it, So it took you a a playthrough or or maybe a game or two? It took me maybe... It took me one or two. 
I want to say playthroughs against and, real people to be like, oh, I need early game sack effects on, on attached to the creatures or mm-hmm. have a sacrifice thing, but that doesn't have the same engine that you kind of need. So your brain was like, oh, it's hard to get the ball rolling, kind of. Right. No, this is this is very snowbally. It, right. It, it's really interesting how it works in that sense because. At first, you're only getting these small value creatures, but then by the end of it, you're just like rebuying Terracidon and just blowing people's land up all day. And I kind of described it to people as it's kind of having Shieldred on suspend, where Shieldred costs eight mana. So this is you're getting it on turn four, but you're only going to get dirtily things in the beginning or not do anything. But eventually, you're going to just be reanimating a thing every single turn. And, you know, because Fleshbag Marauder's in it, that also can make everyone sacrifice a creature if you want. Shieldred is seven mana, by the way. Sure. It's so powerful. Get it right. Get it right, Kessler. This is four, which makes it you way just, better. Yeah, <laughs> is Shieldred in the deck, my... by the way? Uh, no, I cut it because it was in the deck originally. And it was like another large drop that really was just super redundant and almost worse than... I mean, by the time, I'm assuming, and I might be wrong, but by the time you get to enough experience counters that you're bringing back in a 7, 8, or 9 drop, you probably don't need three of them or five of them in the deck. You just need any one of those, right? Right. And, and I probably... And, you know, I have the tutor that get the one green... The creature, it's a 1-1. One, one. I think it's an elf. Two mm-hmm. plus and a green search for a six drop. Yeah. Um, I play that in every green deck. <laughs> and it also feels like the type of deck where Shieldred doesn't... It, this is going to sound weird, but she doesn't do anything when she comes into play, right? Correct. Whereas Terracidon comes in, has immediate effect. So we, if you can hear him rifling through cards, he's looking for something. I don't I'm getting, know what. I'm getting all of the six drops because I think... Or bigger than six drops. And I think there's not that many. I think I'm almost done. But while we're talking about the last one drop that's really important to the deck is Spore Frog. Spore oh, yeah. Frog. This We've talked about this such guy a, good a lot. Card. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite cards. I'll read it. Spore Frog costs one green for a 1-1 one, one frog. It says sacrifice Spore Frog. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. One of the few cards, by the way, from an old set like Prophecy, whose text is the exact same after being Oracle. It's, it's so simple and fantastic. It's and Fog cu- Frog. I and have, cute. And cute. It rhymes when you need it to. I, I would say I've tutored in this deck a lot because it's a lot of black tutor cards, and I don't think there's a card I've tutored for more than Spore, Spore Frog. Interesting. Oh. The fact that, and, and again, like, Black is known for reanimation, for graveyard recursion. Same with green. The fact that you can just guarantee that little, little spore frogs coming back into play, no less, with Marin out in the battlefield right. well, every I mean, single time is very insane. And it's better than Vampire Hexmage. We talked about good Vampire Hexmages, and it's just like better in almost every category because mm-hmm. it's one converted mana cost. It's still free to sack. It's vaguely removal spelly because you can protect yourself from the creatures, kind yep. of removing them, and yep. it can come back forever. Pretty insane. Uh, Spore Frog, and we talk about fog effects a lot in the show as well, but fog effects in general, so powerful. Um, especially with in this case, now there is a couple of uh, uh, moments piece, I believe, has buyback on it or flashback. Constant miss. Constant has, miss, has, yeah, has, sorry. Uh, yeah. Has flashback and people or are... buyback, sorry. Yeah, p- people are in constant fear of, of a card that allows you to just fog again and again right, right. and again. Well, they just won't attack you anymore. Yeah, exactly. As soon as you have that, they'll be like, well, I can attack you, and then I'll just lose all of the value from attacking you. Or I can attack Jimmy, right. who doesn't have fog on a stick, and the damage is going to matter. Yep. Yeah, so- it's, it's sort of a truism about games and players of games. When they take action, they want to see some sort of effect from that action. Mm-hmm. So nobody wants to do something. Even though if I attack into your frog, you have to use the frog, and something did happen, but it feels like I didn't do anything. And people don't play games to not do stuff. They play games so that they can be like telling a story later and be like, yeah, and then I swung with my dragon and hit him for 12. They don't say so that I could... And then I swung with my dragon and then he spore frogged. 
<laughs> well, and and even better than not better than the buyback spell, but the fact that Sportfrog is on the table and they see it. Yeah, no, just, they know like, it's coming. It's like, oh, there's no, no, I have to kill that thing on someone else's turn so I can actually do anything against you. I mean, that's the same thing with Moments Peace and Constant Miss is that you cast it once, you buy it back, or you're able to flash it back. Everyone lives in constant fear of it. Right. And not even fear. Everyone just knows that they don't want to attack you because they just want, I, I want my stuff to They're do stuff. Hoping you tap out so they can actually do something to you. Yeah, well, exactly. it's even more sort of manipulative in a multiplayer game too because you don't even think in your mind, well, I eventually have to deal with that thing. You mm-hmm. can think, yeah, somebody else will deal with that thing. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so after counting, there are a total of seven anything over five mana. Interesting. Anything over five? Yeah. Wow. So, so the most of the deck is one, two, three, four, and five drops, and then there's these seven, six, seven, eight drops. Oh, over five. So six or oh, over five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm looking at Sadisi going, uh... No, no, no. There are five <laughs> drops. Okay, there gotcha. Are quite a few of those. Now, but... originally you had more then, so you had Shieldred and a few more, and that was one of the, the changes. Yeah, yeah. The first thing I did was I realized that Mirren relies on a curve, and it's in her literal her card text she cares about the curve of the cards you have in your graveyard because you'll be able to reanimate reanimate quicker smaller things um and that was the first thing i noticed was like based off of how quick i'm going through my deck and i'm pretty good at dredging enough and making a deck that's good at putting cards in my graveyard Mm -hmm. um that you don't need that many six drops to start just getting really good value and if you look at them half of them are two like you know i have rune scar demon i have all these cards that when they come in you're going to either get the card you need or you're going to start winning Right, Runescar Demon tutors when it comes to Yeah, it, it's, it's demonic tutor on a, on, yeah. a, on a creature. Right. So our next question we have down, we may have partially answered it. Well, I'll ask it. How did the deck play compared to how you envisioned it playing the first time? So, you know, that's something I try to keep in mind is like, I when I build the deck, I have a certain idea of how I think it's going to play. Mm-hmm. And then when I play it, if it's not lining up to that, a lot of times I'm like, okay, I did something wrong. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I was just wrong about what I thought the deck should try and do, and actually the deck should try and do this other thing. Right. It's interesting. Something that, and this is also just how the metagame has shifted around this mechanic of experience counters. When I first built it, people were so afraid of Mirren that, like, I built the deck being, so I need to cast it and then gain value immediately, and that's gone away. People aren't as like, oh, man, I need to kill Mirren right away. For instance, we played a game last week, and... I kept Mirren. I played it once. I don't think anybody killed her. Didn't die the entire game. I eventually died because you suspended 80 cards with Jorah, and that's what happens when you play against Jorah. (laughs) (laughs) And if we haven't mentioned, I'm bad at killing people. But (laughs) um, yeah, no, it was definitely just people have stopped caring about her being alive. But something that I definitely learned early was you need to be able to use her the turn you play her. Um, The other thing I learned is, and you know, this is one of the cards you added, is anything that gives your cards instant speed. So I have the Valkanari in the deck because she can return creatures to your hand. Being able to then cast those for value during other people's turns is really high. So Vidalcan Ori is a four-drop um, artifact. You can find it from Conspiracy. I would pick these up now because they're starting to creep back up in price. The card's great. Yeah. In, in fact, this is one of those cards that I just find myself constantly adding to every deck. It should be in every commander deck. Yeah, I really I really think it's probably there. So Vidalcan Ori, four-drop artifact. You may cast non-land cards as though they had flash. I guess I guess um, Tefiri creature decks don't need it, if that's your commander. Right. But then wh- who are you and how evil are you? <laughs> At this point, any deck, any card that can help you get back to doing what Prophet of Krufix helped you do 
It's true. It's half of profit of crew right. picks, but better. As in, it's not even just creatures. It's not well, land it's, cards. And, well, well, it could be in, and it better in the sense that it doesn't have to be in a specifically green blue deck. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that's how good profit of crew picks yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this card is basically half of profit of crew picks, and it's still a must include in every commander deck. And isn't profit yeah. of crew picks the only banned gold card, or is there another one? No, there's um, coalition victory. Uh, right, right. There's yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, there's there, a couple. Okay, cool. All right, um, ignore <laughs> me. Coalition victory. <laughs> What a card. Yeah. Um, but Videlkin Ori, take a look at it. If it's not in your deck, you should have a very good reason why it's not. It, yep. uh, that that could be price. But. Card is ridiculous. There's, yeah. there's another thing. This deck generally leads you down a certain path, and I have avoided it. Um, Mirren is really good at the... Uh, I'm forgetting what they're called. Grave Pack cards, where if I sacrifice a creature, you... Dictate Erebos else, and Grave yeah, Pack. Di- yeah. yeah, Dictate Erebos. Right. And I have a Taza deck, and it's very much on that game plan. And that's all about killing people with pain, Blood Artist, and the new Blood Artist that just came out, and Cut sacrificing through. all my permanents. Yeah. And I never attack anyone in that deck, um, and eventually just kills them through sacrifice effects. Mm-hmm. And I avoided it because I don't want the exact same deck times two. I don't need two of the exact commander deck. Right. But this deck, and something I'm not doing but other people should do, is play that strategy. Flesh Bag Marauder every turn good. is very, very good. Right, very and, good, and yeah. not to mention just like... Evolutionary Leap is overpowered in this deck. And Evolutionary Leap with Marin with uh, Grave Pact is just an insane board state that most people can't just beat. Right. Evolutionary Leap is one of the cards that a lot of people put on their list for, for pet cards. For yeah. pet cards, I noticed. Thank you, yeah. by the way, everyone that submitted your pet cards. I had a blast reading through all of them. I wrote a lot down. So the next time we do another like underrated cards or hidden gems or pet cards episode, I have a bag full of them. It's going to be awesome. Jimmy, I think my favorite them. pet card, by the way, was someone said Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that great a commander. Yeah. It, it draws a target on your face and it bounces a creature. It's pretty Still good. It's pretty good. It's pretty awesome. Brainstorm every turn is good. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, Evolutionary Leap is one in a green for an enchantment. It says pay a green and sacrifice a creature reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card put that card into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order so it just draws you a creature card um whenever you sack a creature which you want to do with marin anyway and also just added value when stuff dies is good anyway you you get a sacrifice trigger on a stick so you get to really start firing off her experience counter count and Mm -hmm. on top of that you put those creatures into your graveyard that you will then get back so you're you're really not sacrificing a creature you're just getting a sacrifice trigger because marin does what she does and you're drawing creature cards to then also use with marin because they're probably good with her and it's a chain that eventually makes you very happy the most favorite (laughs) thing i've done with it is golgari thug is one of the dredgers in the deck and dredgers are important because you need to fill your card up with graveyard right but Evolutionary Leap and Golgari Thug, the way the triggers work together, because Golgari Thug, when it dies, lets you put a creature card from your graveyard on top of your library, lets you literally return any card from your graveyard to your hand whenever you need it. Right, because that draw, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Evolutionary Leap trigger. So, so Evolutionary Leap, you sack a creature to draw. Then the trigger of Golgari Thug dying lets you put a creature card on top of your library, which then Evolutionary Leap lets you draw. That's a very good combination. Golgari Thug, one in the black for a 1-1 human warrior. When Golgari Thug dies, put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. And Dredge, four. If you would draw a card, you can instead put exactly four cards from the top of your library into your graveyard. If you do return this card from your graveyard, it's your hand. So it's, it, 
in and it lets itself. you move the dredges. Like, it yeah, lets you exactly. get that dredge trigger every turn. So, Golgari Thug with Evolutionary Leap means you get to regrow whatever card you want to uh, when the thug dies. Right, and, and you're fueling your dredge engine because during your draw step, you'll dredge Golgari Thug to continue the chain and put four more cards in your graveyard. And that's like drawing four cards a turn instead of one. Plus, right. it's kind of it, like yeah. brainstorming every turn. Yeah. Because actually, better because you're looking at four more cards every turn, basically. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about dredge for just a hot second here. It's a, to- it's a mechanic that we very rarely talk about on the show but it is one that is pretty high in the storm scale correct uh no it'll never it's it's like storm banding is higher than storm dredges are right below storm that's right. only because banding is confusing right yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's, no one knows how that mechanic works the storm scale by the way is mark rosewater scale that essentially says these are the these are the mechanics that very very likely will not see reprint the closer it is to storm it's right basically like them saying standard these are the me- right yeah, standard, yeah these yeah. are like the ones where they said these were kind of mistakes yeah no no, no. they're overpowered or too powerful yeah. in what they do because dredge as we just said if you build your deck around graveyard shenanigans, it reads you draw four cards instead of drawing right. a card. Right. So if, dredge is just the mechanic where instead of drawing a card, you you basically mill yourself for a certain for whatever amount. the number yeah. is. Yeah. And yeah. and a lot of times in dredge decks, and maybe you do this in in this deck on your very first turn, you'll just purposely not play a land so you can discard a dredge card and just start that. Right. And, well, from, and there, from there turn are, one, there are yeah. blatant very powerful legacy and vintage decks yeah. that that's literally the game plan yep. they're like they it's the only deck in magic that will draw first every single time if it can yeah um probably the most famous dredge card especially for commander players is life from the Lum. yep which is another one of my pet cards i would say and is is maybe the second most tutored card in the deck um i think i've entombed for life from the Lum more than any card i've ever entombed <laughs> for <laughs> life from the Lum, uh, one in the green so good by for the way. a sorcery return up to three target land cards from your graveyard to your hand and you can dredge three so you essentially can just draw plenty of lands right. with life from the Lum. a lot of green black decks have a problem of if they get choked up on lands mm-hmm. that's an issue and this lets you get the lands you need lets you dredge and that's the other that's the problem with dredging is you never draw cards and when you're not drawing cards you're not drawing lands, so that means your mana base isn't growing. But what Life from the Loam lets you do is make sure you get both. those mana bases and getting yep. you the dredge. So it does everything you kind of want to do in one nice little cute package. Plus, you can strip strip mine, which is really mean. Life from the Loam is just very, very good. Yeah, very yeah. good indeed. Especially when you're just popping up strip mines left and right there. Oof. Rough. Oh, man, I loved uh, didn't come together. But in the very first Masters of Modern, that uh, there was like, what is it, Worm Harvest? And Life from the Loam, there was that deck. There was a black-green deck. Modern Masters. Yeah, Modern the Masters very one, first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, not your podcast. The very, the very first, first episode, <laughs> we we brewed a land destruction deck because that's yeah. how we figured sorry. we were going to get followers. <laughs> um, in Modern Masters 1, that was yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. draft archetypes. It didn't always come together, but when it did, you just streamrolled everybody. Oh, no, my uh, GP Vegas, the first one, my deck was the coolest thing on the planet. I had Life from the Loam. I had, I had all the dredge pieces, but I had um, Academy Ruins. I had all the mana, the do five colors. I had... Night of the Reliquary. Oh, so geez. I would dredge into a like twenty twenty Night of the Reliquary. That's awesome. And then like get the lands back when I needed them. It was I had the most fun I've ever had. I like cycled the etched champion yep. with Academy Ruins like thirty times one game. I just like literally drew through my whole deck. And I had started playing with sideboarded games of like ten extra cards because I would deck myself. With both <laughs> <of> my opponent. <laughs> Jeez, that is intense. So now that uh, now that we've talked about sort of how you've envisioned the deck, how you wanted to see it play, and some of the things you've already done, like we've notably said, you've taken out cards that are higher than six drops, uh, to because just you know both with the Vancouver Mulligan and also just the deck doesn't necessarily want it. Also, right. how often are you going to get Marin up to seven, eight, nine? It happens. Counters? That's something that's really interesting. That's what's weird about experience counters. It's going to happen no matter what. Right. Eventually, I'm going to get the counters I need because at worst case scenario, I play her. 
when I have a bunch of creatures and play late game and it just will happen. Or somebody can just Supreme Verdict and then it'll happen. Yeah, it'll happen. Yeah. So yeah. like that's that's one of the insane things and I'm not even sure I like it about con- experience counters. It's maybe a complaint I have is that they're, they're just so inevitable and with some of them it's in like a Nivix decks. Mizix decks. Like it feels so inevitable that eventually they're just going to have infinite mana for all kinds of purposes yeah i think mizix is actually harder to get experience counters on depending i think a deck like this or the one that gets it for just creatures coming to the battlefield with power two or less can be way easier because you can get them a lot at one time yeah yeah no no i think i think marin is the easiest i think mizix has the most explosive use of them because eventually yes marin if you get to 10 experience counters it doesn't matter matter. i literally like i I, i'm planning on i'm trying to get as many of the experience tokens they give you to make one of those abacus 3d uh (laughs) experience counters for this deck and i'm not gonna put more than 10 because there's no creature in my deck more than 10 experience right. if that happens yeah. i'm just like i i would then you're just infinite. like anything i want i get out yeah pretty much <laughs> anything you want except I mean, for he got his sneezes out too yeah yeah except for like bless you ulamog or something like that but no but they shuffle back you can't even play them no, oh, that's a really good you can do i guess Ulamog, yeah, could, yeah. So. so that's like the largest thing i could be like really trying to pull off but then you don't get the cast trigger either so it's just you're getting a 10 10 indestructible that Give me Terracidon. Yeah, it's true. All the yeah, time. What about like um, what's the uh, Void Winnower or something? That's just gonna oh, make yeah. people mad. Well, I mean, he can't even. He doesn't do ha, anything. Ha, that comes ha, ha. Jokes never. All right. So speaking of adding and subtracting cards, are there any cards right now that are on the chopping block, and why? And what are you looking to put in there? Yes. So I would say I have five cards I'm currently considering chopping. <gasps> One of my favorite I cards know. is at the top. Brutal, Brutalizer Exarch, which I literally just added when I searched for six or more drops while going through it. Um, I don't think he does enough. The card is very good, however. It's five and a green for a creature cleric, 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield, you can either search your library for a creature card, reveal it, and then put that card on top of your library after you shuffle your library, or you can put target non-creature permanent on the bottom of its owner's library. So it can tuck a non-creature permanent, essentially, on the bottom. And I think he's really good. I think he's sl- he, he's worse in this deck now because of what we talked about. I put mm-hmm. a lot of work in getting a lot of artifact hate in there and a lot of tutor cards in the early drop slots so now that that exists there are better large drops that i am playing that can kill permanents mm-hmm. and the tutor effect isn't nearly as important because by the time i get the six mana i should have dredged 30 cards and tutor for the exact You'll things i need and right, like, i don't yeah, need right. it anymore um so that's number one number two nim's death mantle nim death another good mantle. card yeah. yeah also another pet card that i saw a couple, couple times i think this is way better in white decks or actually more specifically blue decks um, because of the fact that you keep mana open. Right. So Nim Death Mantle says it's a two-drop equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, has Intimidate, and it is a black zombie. So creatures with Intimidate can't be blocked except for artifact creatures and or creatures that share a color with it. And whenever a non-token creature is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, hmm, something that Marin does, you may pay four colorless mana, or four generic mana, sorry. If you do, return that card to the battlefield and attach Nim Death Mantle to it. So my issue with this is purely the fact that Green Black doesn't like keeping its mana open. Mm-hmm. You're tapping out whenever you can, and keeping four mana up is really costly. And, and and you have to kill something. I mean, yes, there are going to be times where you can do that yourself, but because of what Marin does, Marin almost does that better for you. And so it's a little redundant, and you don't have the mana to keep open for it. That's a great point, because that is something I don't think comes through my head very often when thinking about ads and cuts like a card like nim death mantle you read it and it says oh this is perfect for marin we're already recurring stuff this is redundancy we talked about this this is you know re-triggering enter the battlefield triggers this seems like what you want to do but the fact that you're not holding up mana and the fact that you're also just going to be dredging and doing stuff already where you're getting cards in your graveyard and you don't really care if they're already there 
Right. And, and the deck has a lot of death triggers versus ETB triggers. So you don't get as many ex- accidental someone killing your creature and you getting it back. Mm-hmm. It's more like you're doing it yourself. And so there's just there are definitely mana concerns. And that's my biggest problem with it. And I wouldn't have learned with it without having played with it 5x times and being like, oh, I wish this was just a creature that did something. Yeah, that's something I find uh, when I'm going through and evaluating the deck as I'm playing it is just like, how does each card feel? Mm-hmm. You know? Right, right, right. So then when I go later, what I do is I'll just sort of look at each card and be like, how did this feel when I had it? And a lot of cards, they just feel like, I felt like I couldn't find a spot to play this card. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's very common. Uh, and, and it's very common on cards like Nim Deathmantle, where you sort of have to delve into why. And what you found out was, oh, I couldn't find a spot to play it because I didn't couldn't find a spot where I wanted to have four mana open. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not anything about the card exactly. It's actually the way that the card forces you to function. And that's something to really pay attention to. That was something like in Mizzix where I kept talking about like, Every time I I played it, when I started tweaking it the next time, I would just pull out anything that wasn't an instant or sorcery. Because every time I held a card in my hand that wasn't an instant or sorcery, even Soul Ring, I kept thinking, I don't have a spot to play this because I want to hold my mana open. Nim Deathmantle, exact opposite. I don't have a spot to play this because I don't want to hold my mana right, open. Right, right, But it's, it's just feel, really. Yeah, and... Uh, that's kind of like there's two phases for me and this is back to the subject of a podcast there's when you first build it there's just like the grandiose obvious things you did wrong and that's where i start making changes immediately quickly just to get through as many different ways of playing to see what works best and then there's the i've now played 100 games with this deck and i've noticed that oh on game 98 through 99 i kept drawing nim's death mantle and being like oh this does nothing i need a better card for this or this card is clunky for whatever reasons it's clunky and then you change it one by one let me ask you guys something have you ever taken a card out of your deck and then at some point later been like no actually i should have that card in the deck Mm -hmm. all the time i i I can't expressly tell you one right now though i can not commander related oh jimmy you do yours grave titan the card is amazing it's bonkers it's bonkers and then i took it out of marchesa because i was like you know i don't need this big creature it just makes two twos and whatever and then I realized, no, this makes a lot. <laughs> no, it's a win condition. It's a and win it's, condition. It's a win condition a lot of times in colors that don't always have them. Yeah. It, the card gets out of control extremely quickly, and the fact that you can recur it with Marchesa once it gets some counters on it is also very, very Right. Very I, I put it in Teza just because of the tokens, because it's a black token mm-hmm. maker, and you play in Teza every black token maker you can find that has good value, and it's like you forget just, oh, when I cast this, I'm probably winning because I have 10 power in the field that's just going to grow yep. and grow, and they can't do anything about it. Um, Demands so removal. Next card on the list. And well, this, Josh, these... do you have any cards oh, that yeah. you've done? Oh, um, Vidalcan Orrery is probably the one that I've done that with the most because it feels like, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to cast it. But right. when you have Vidalcan Orrery on the table, you feel like that's the best that you can feel in Magic, which is like, I can do my stuff whenever I feel like it. And yeah. in multiplayer, it's so much more important because there's three other players or four other players, and I need to be able to, like, you know, respond. It give virtual haste to my creatures. Like, Turning, it's so good. Yeah. But it always feels when you're – it's hard. Those are the type of cards that are really hard to evaluate when you're not playing. Right, right. So when you're just looking at a bunch of cards, Valkanori looks expendable. But when you're playing, you realize, man, every time I have that, I feel so good. Like my deck just feels like it's really, really like, like, um, I don't know. It's, it's just ready to respond in the best way. Yeah. You feel Creat- safe. Creatures you- with enter the battlefield abilities become instants, you right. know? And when, when you can make every card in your deck 
essentially adding new keywords to it, it's it's very powerful. Having the ability to respond to what your opponents are doing. Just that, being able to be like, oh, you did that thing. Now I know the exact correct decision that I should have made on my turn. Right. Because it's basically you're getting to see the future. Hindsight you is twenty twenty. You're dude. getting to move your seat, too, which I think is so important in Commander because if Alex is playing the Counterspell deck, well, sitting directly to the left of him is the worst place I can be because that's the point where he's going to have the most mana open and the most Counterspells in his hand. Whereas if I'm sitting directly to his right... Now he has to get through Jimmy's everything Jimmy casts, everything yep. Craig casts, and he might counterspell some of their stuff, and then it's my turn, and he might not have a counterspell anymore or, or mana open. And so being able to move right. your seat virtually is just so powerful. So, yeah, we have talked enough about that. I should have put that on my pet cards, although everybody plays it. So <laughs> I guess before I move on to the next card I want to cut, I do want to mention with redundancy because it's going to come up, I think, immediately anyways. Um, there are redundancy effects that are good and bad. So Liliana, the, uh, Liliana Heretic Sealer, which is the creature one, is the type of redundancy in this deck that I think it wants. Because eventually you get to the point where you want you have enough mana or you have enough time to start bringing back multiple things. And so anything that lets you do that on your turn for free is very strong. And she has, you know, her trigger is very online with what you're doing already, which is sacrificing a creature. Right. That's Liliana Heretical Healer from Origins. Right. Yeah, if you recall, she flips over on our Planeswalker side if a creature you control died this yeah. turn. Yeah, non-token. Yeah. And you get a yeah. token, and then she can reanimate spells, basically, or creatures. Pretty powerful. I like that card quite a bit. So next on the cut list, and this is going to be a little bit sinful for people because people expect this to be in all green-black decks, is Gerard ah, Golgari Lichlord. Lord. This has a really similar problem to Niven Death Mantle. Also, I don't like killing people. I think that might be an issue because it's like definitely <laughs> a win condition. This is certainly a win condition. <laughs> and this is a deck that a lot of people... This is, by the way, in the Marin deck. Yeah, uh, it comes with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's black, black, green, green for a 2-2 zombie elf legendary. Of course, Gerard Golgari Lichlord gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your graveyard. Already sounding pretty gravy. One, a black and a green. Sacrifice another creature. Each opponent loses life equal to the sacrificed creature's power. That's a win condition. And finally, sacrifice a swamp and a forest, and you can return Gerard from your graveyard to your hand. Why are you cutting this, Alex? It's like on the bottom of the cut list. Like, I definitely see it sticking <laughs> around longer, but it's so mana hungry. And right. It's, and like, the, the fact that he's big never matters. You're not attacking anyone with him because it's commander and attacking with a single creature that doesn't have evasion doesn't really get in. Or that isn't or, your commander. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's also, you know, you're, if that's happening and you're getting in, you're picking on the one guy that you like don't want to be attacking. Because they have nothing, and that might be me being nice. Well, it also but, leaves you open. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things that are problematic with it. It's definitely on the lower end because it does. it is a win condition that late game can help you kill stuff, but it is super mana hungry. Mm -hmm. And to be totally honest, he's probably the biggest creature. This deck isn't running, because of the curve problem, isn't running a lot of big things to throw at people. It's mm -hmm. not like other reanimator decks where you're trying to get big. If I was playing with him, I'd have a bunch of seven drops. But because I am playing with Marin and I have a bunch of one and two drops... Throwing a spore frog at someone isn't exactly super exciting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Victor, you don't want to sack that spore frog anyway. Yeah, that's what I think makes the most sense is if you're going to make the decision to take out the larger drops for a variety of reasons we already discussed, then Gerard just gets a lot worse. Right, and, and, it does, and it's power. If it was converted yeah. mana cost, I'd almost be more interested. Right. Um, but like most of the big creatures I'm keeping, other than maybe Terracidon, are like really three threes. Like even Brutalizer Exarch is a three three. Right. Uh, and it's very hard for you to change Rod in the way that really makes him broken where you're getting the creatures back. You just get one a turn. Right. And, and on if, your turn. If you look at um the the Avenger of Zendikar, like 
that's a slightly bigger creature. That's one of the higher drops. But even that one, I'm winning in any ways. You I don't, don't need actually want to sacrifice yeah, it. That's that the win condition. Right. So yeah. Right. So like it, it ends up being like a. I'm either using big mana to play this creature, or he's not doing enough. Um, next is Corpse Auger. This is another redundancy one for those who don't know. Corpse Auger is three and a black. He is a creature zombie wizard. When Corpse Auger dies, you draw X cards and lose X life, where X is the number of creature cards in target player's graveyard, and he is a 4-2. So card draw. Uh, really good. Very powerful. Yeah, especially because you're usually targeting yourself, I'm guessing. True. Because you've dredged like 20 creatures into there. Well, then you lose 20 life. True. But you draw 20 cards. The, the, my Yolo. issue with it is redundancy. Uh-huh. There, there is an issue of life loss. Like eventually you don't want to target yourself because you're going to be killing yourself possibly. Right. But more in reality, this card, this deck doesn't need card advantage as much as other decks because it inherently mm-hmm. is a card advantage engine. The whole deck does that. Right. Versus other black decks that I can imagine wanting this where you want to be drawing a lot of cards. Like if I was doing a black red deck or a black white deck, having a card draw engine like this would be super powerful. But in this deck specifically... I'm dredging four cards a turn, which is I'm literally brainstorming four cards a turn. I'm mm-hmm. my every time I mill my deck, that's drawing those cards. Marin lets me draw cards. I'm rebuying creatures. That amount of card advantage is decent. But there by is the a, time it's good, you have cards already, and it takes a while to get there already. Yeah, there's a point at which card draw is actually not helping you anymore. You know, you're if you draw one more that's card funny. than everybody else, <laughs> if you draw one more card than everybody else, that's helping you a lot because you're doubling the amount of cards your opponents are having. If you're drawing seven more cards than everybody else, that's helping you a lot. But the eighth card doesn't help you as much. Right. Because right. that's just percentage-wise, like, oh, I got another, like, 9% advantage now. And then the next card is even less. Yeah, so I can see. And we always advocate a lot of card draw on Mana Ramp because those things smooth out your deck. But there is definitely diminishing returns on that stuff. Well, and early game card draw is really good. In this deck, even. But right. this isn't an early game card drop because someone has to have creatures in their graveyard. Yeah, that's right. a really good point. You can't really just do it on turn five because you might only have two creatures in there. And at that's like, best, it's okay. you have one and it's okay. Yeah. And then you put all the effort of making that happen. Um, the other thing with it is this, and, and I mentioned it before, this is a tap out deck. I don't hold mana open. Mm-hmm. So drawing a bunch of cards doesn't do that much for me because options don't matter as much because I'm the active player. I'm not waiting to see what you do and seeing, oh, which one of my 12 answers in my hand do I have to stop you? I'm putting things in play and hoping that I can either overthink what you're going to do or just do my own thing and hope you don't stop me. Right. Not to mention, Corpse Auger is in this weird spot with this deck in particular where he's at his best when you're drawing, like, five to ten cards and he quickly actually becomes worse because you start losing a lot of life uh and and being forced to target someone else's graveyard is never ideal because you can't really control what's going on there so it is an interesting cut actually i think i agree here you've got so many other things going on where you're getting things to your hand you're returning to the battlefield that just straight card draw isn't necessarily what you want to do unless you're trying to draw so much that you're forced to discard right and last but not least in tumor exarch he is one of the Exarchs, so he has two abilities you get to choose. One is return target creature card from the graveyard to your hand. The other one is target opponent reveals his or her hand, and you choose a non-creature card from it, and then that player discards that card. He is a cleric, he is a 2-2, and he costs two and two black. To be totally honest, it's just not a good commander card. He's very good and constructed with Birthing Pod-like decks. This deck is a Birthing Pod-like deck. It's playing Birthing Pod. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy, because it only affects one player, isn't that great. And when the, re- the Gravedigger effect is better on like three other cards in the deck, including and especially Marin. Yeah. It feels like a tool that you don't actually need. Right. Yeah. It, and like, cause just one targeted card discard doesn't do anything to anyone. Yeah. It's just too hard for it to basically whiff. 
I mean, you'll get something, but it, it's so hard to know, like, which player should I point it at, and then... It could just not matter. If I target you, Jimmy could be the one with the counter spell. Yeah, or exactly. if I target Jimmy, you're right. the one that has a Genesis wave and just win the next turn. I'm like, oh, well, that was a waste of everything. Yeah, it's just too hard to, to aim it correctly. It's right. too hard to hit the bullseye with that card. It's the same reason yeah. burn is bad in Commander. Because yeah. pointing, beyond life totals, but, like, any targeted thing is bad against one player. Yeah, if I'm like it's three just damage is just yeah, that's de- definitively like discarding three cards at that point. Definitely, very interesting. Well, I loved seeing those, uh, especially because none of those cards were inherently bad just by looking at it. Right, each of those needed a right. justification. Each of those could easily have made the cut in in the deck. Uh, but I love the reasoning behind it. I think it's a really important lesson to learn that sometimes you do have to get rid of the cards that you think are doing what you want the deck to do, and it follows sort of the quote-unquote guidelines that we've set forth on the show of redundancy and making sure your deck can function without your commander. But you also have to consider what the card is doing sort of in the overall span of the game. And that's something you actually brought up that we could talk about a lot more in the future is what is your role in the commander game at the table? Are you control? Are you beat down? Are you the aggressor? Right. Are you sitting back? Are you holding mana open? And that actually helped answer a lot of questions about which cards were going to stay and which ones were going to go. And what the role of the deck is. I would also say, you know, something to always consider with the deck is there's a real cost in Commander of including and all constructed magic. But because Commander is no matter what 99 cards to a certain extent, mm-hmm. even though all their formats are pretty much that anyways. But this is costing another card. This Corpse Auger could be a answer to a Like, I don't have a good Graveyard effect, hate effect maybe in here. And then I'm just going to get steamrolled by Graveyard Hate Dose. The other guy at the table who's maybe more efficient than me or is doing one of the more hyper-aggressive graveyard Just strategies. Just got off to a better start. And yeah. because I'm playing some weird, dirtily, I draw a bunch of cards that I don't need, I don't get to have that answer I need to that. Or I don't have X, Y, Z that I need to do my plan. Right. One of the really interesting things that you said about Corpse Augur, which is the card draw that I really like, is just thinking of how your deck plays and therefore how that card plays. So the what you said about how oh, card advantage doesn't matter as much because A, my deck already has it in another way, but also just the way that I'm playing my deck. So this deck's going to tap out and play all its stuff. Right. And so it's not playing like... Because a lot of people will see that deck with Consecrated Sphinx and they draw 40 cards and they just sit, say draw go and just sit there and like answer everything that happens. And they'll be like, oh, I want to play my deck like that. But you can't play... Uh, you couldn't play the Marin deck that way because that's not the way that the deck can work, right? You have to play your creatures out and then they have to hit the table and do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, And I do think Mirren, you can build a deck that way, with Mirren, even with Mirren, because I do think there are cool ways to take a commander in ways people don't think about. Right, and with right, Mirren, right. if you just play only the black and green cards that have flash or are instant speed effects or you give them instant speed somehow or you're only playing with spells and creatures that kind of do that, then you can build your deck to be, I have my mana open all the time. Right. Because her other ability is you don't have to put it into play. Or you do if it's you below the different mana cost. You can just always draw it. And at that point, you can play that Drago-style commander play with her. I'd love to see a deck like that. I personally didn't build it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would be... I mean, it would be difficult. I, I agree you can. I guess what I'm saying is just realizing, like, oh, that's good for that deck for these reasons. That right, doesn't right. mean it's good for my deck for the same reason. Well, and that's... I, I guess more of the point, and this is the point you're making, is look at what your deck's trying to do. Not what could it do, but what are you trying to do with your deck, and then make sure your deck is following suit with that. Consecrated Sphinx is, de- it, uh, Consecrated Sphinx is great when you are countering everything because your opponents are now afraid because you literally have every card right. that you could ever want. <laughs> <laughs> ever. That's not as good when you're tapped out. It right. just isn't because people don't, like, I can have all the cards in the world, but if I don't have any mana... 
I'm not doing anything with them unless they're all force of will, and that's a then you're then cheating. You're cheating, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, did you see the? Uh, there was there's a it's a story, but basically they created a format where there was no ban list, no card of magic is banned, and they right. all have to create a deck, and they all show up to the table, and you know people are playing moxes and black lotuses and blah 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 blah, and one guy's just sitting there. And like, okay, it's your turn. He's not doing anything. He's just putting lands and creatures into play, but not really anything. And they're like, okay, we don't get it. And then, and they're all like bad early cards. And then they all like turn away for a second. And he un, he takes the proxies out of every deck, and they're all cheaty face. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite swings. card. Oh my goodness! I should put that under my pet cards. That is fantastic. Well, that's one way to do it. So um, cheaty face. So build your deck right, guys. That's Just right. Proxies and cheaty face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the listeners. So a Kessler has a very special question for you guys that actually you get asked all the time, correct? Me? Yeah. Yeah. And we ask our, our listeners. So the question is, which commander card that isn't legal in modern would you like to see be played in modern? Marin or legal Clan Neltoth. Can I say Marin? Yeah, you can say Marin. Yeah. I really, I, w- I would love um, uh, the red Planeswalker Commander. Oh, Duretti. Duretti would oh be my, my favorite. Goodness. That'd be that, so sick. That would be uh, unbelievable. I don't think it should be, maybe, yeah. but like, it's super <laughs> sick. Well, it's a four drop. I guess four, yeah, Infect would kill that person pretty quick. He's sweet. I love that guy. Yeah, Duretti's very powerful. Um, maybe one day next time, or one of the times we'll be on, we can talk about my Malfagor deck that has, it's all oh. artifact themed, and it's like a black-red Duretti deck, basically. But because Malfagor lets you discard your hand, it's just a discard outlet. Slash board play against slash that deck. You don't. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. I don't kill people very quickly. Yeah, good <laughs> but I, I've actually my win percentage with the deck is crazy oh, the deck's high. Very good. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> Sour insanity. Status. Most people end up not having any cards in their hands either. I've I noticed. And it doesn't. Oh, because Sour insanity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That card's really good. <laughs> That's <laughs> the problem. Sometimes colors just have a specific. Yeah. Like you have to play. If you're black red, why aren't you playing Sour insanity? Because you're a nice person, I guess. But like from a power level perspective, you're not playing correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. All right. Time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Kessler, you told us you had something cool. So I started and it's a long path, but it's listening to the book, The The Words of the Winds or The Name of the Wind. In the Name of the Wind. In the Name of the Wind, which is a King Killer Chronicles book. One of the first two of many. (laughs) I I believe uh, so the path to reading this book, I actually have owned it in every version. I own a hard copy. Uh, I own a Kindle version. And then I bought the audiobook version with my Audible account because I just I, I have a friend who literally said he moved to Prague and he said, I'm not going to talk to you on Facebook until you finish this book oh, Sam. six oh, months Sam. ago. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't whatever reason that first chapter just I kept rereading it. I've heard the thing where one character gets robbed like 50 times in the first chapter and like finally book on tape got on an airplane to hong kong and was like i'm, I'm getting through this and so nice. i'm now into it and it is king killer i said king filler for some reason oh because yeah. i made that joke earlier uh king filler makes no sense king killer a lot more sense yeah there's two actually i've read them both uh the second one's like the the slow regard of silent things the silent regard of slow things the something regard of something things <laughs> what what's interesting about it a wise man's fear right letting all my oh, nerd crap. flag flies. there's a third one but it's like a mini it's a novella i think is what uh, it is and that's novella. the regard of things yeah you're right it's uh yeah okay fine i i got the names wrong anyway so patrick, <laughs> patrick rothfuss rothfuss i'm gonna let my book i'm gonna let my nerd flag fly a little bit or show a little bit but i've we watched magic an anime podcast. before in my life and one of them i watched recently because netflix did their own exclusive was the seven deadly sins one uh-huh. um which was decent it was pseudo cheesy but whatever i was bored one night and 
finished all 12 episodes or whatever it was, but they're like identical. Except one's a cheesy anime with anime tropes, but like it starts with oh, a really? weird barkeep that's like has a mysterious past where he's actually like a crazy badass that everyone's <laughs> afraid of, and he's like wanted by the government, but no one knows who he is. And then someone shows up and like tells everyone what's going I mean, on, and then he used to hang out with a team of people that like. And then there's these guys, and I, I'm only at the part where the bad guys show up, I guess, but they're also very similar. <laughs> but that's just. I mean, th- the that's, NHC trope th- 101. I mean, that's just like old samurai or Western too. Like, True. Yeah, it's just sort of. It's kind of like what that Star Wars movie did with that Star Wars movie. The 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 heroes tale. Well, except like the like this is a slightly different trope where that's like farm boy that's becoming a hero, and those are bartender that was a hero and telling you his tale. Well, it's just when he was a farm boy. I was talking. Hero. I was talking Force Awakens versus Episode Four in terms of similar stories. Oh, but right, we don't right. need to get into that. Not now. Uh, the can. name. I'll defend it for days. <laughs> I know you will. And the name of the book is In the Name of the Wind, Patrick Rothfuss. By the way, look at the picture of this guy. His beard is epic. epic. Holy you know you would never boy. be allowed on a magic card because they don't like wizards with pointy hats and big beards. Really? Yeah, that's because they thing. don't want it to be cliche. Yeah, they're against the cliches. I, like I want people to, <laughs> to look at Patrick Rothfuss, uh, Robert Jordan, the late great, and uh, George R. R. Martin, and there's just evidently like a certain kind of look that a fantasy writer has to have. What book series did Robert Jordan? Wheel of Time. Oh, I don't do another. Do podcast. not do not start that series yeah. because it is like fifty thousand pages of. Uh, it's so long. Oh, Holy I mean, moly. getting into things. So I went to a Cracked podcast screening, the Cracked podcast, uh-huh. uh, for my birthday, which was yesterday. My girlfriend bought me tickets and brought. It was a meet. It was okay, but one of the guys when they opened up the question came up and was like, just started going for like ten minutes on a rant about Wheel of Time, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh no, kid, please stop. You're no. This is gonna be no, on the internet. Don't, don't do it, kid. Don't do it. Don't it was, it was about Oscars and racism, and he oh, went about geez. the Wheel of Time for 30 minutes. I was like, oh, well, this, man. Is, this is rough. That is intense. Well, on that note... Never bring up Wheel of Time on a podcast. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're breaking the rule to teach the rule. This man, is the they got exception. their money's worth out of the end step this time. I guess there's like <laughs> yeah. five things that we talked about. I consume a lot of content. It was my birthday. Did I tell you my birthday? <laughs> oh, yeah. End step. Alex Kessler's birthday. Uh, if you guys are in LA and want to go to Dave & Buster's this Saturday... Before this podcast was released, <laughs> if you will, have a time machine, <laughs> yeah, make it watching back in the time. Pro Tour. Can you tell us? Just tweet, tweet at me who won and how right or wrong I was. Absolutely, about what? Considering it ends on Sunday, I'm gonna we'll say I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Swedish Kibler won. Swedish Kibler, yeah. Oh, Yol, your buddy Yol, I yeah. love Yol, man. Team Eureka, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They they had a great run at the last GP they all played at. So I, I'm a big fan of Yol. Pretty obviously. good at Magic. It's I've, pretty good. I've heard. I've heard. I've heard tale. And he took a mono red deck all the way home, and he also played an EDH game and won it on stream. I mean, the guy, is, is, he's lights out my hero right now. You know yeah, what G- I mean? Jimmy has, like, stars in his eyes right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, I'm he's pretty dreamy. He's yeah, pretty dreamy. he's very he's dreamy. dreamy. Oh, also, tweet at whoever won if it wasn't Yul Larson or if it was Yul Larson, and mm-hmm. tell them to be on the Masters of Modern podcast so I can get them on there. And you realize this stuff. is going to come out after the Modern Pro Tour's already happened. <laughs> yeah, and but after we're just going to keep – we're just going to keep – I wanted the whole top eight. We're going to do a run. We're going to try. We're going all the way. Speaking yeah. of which, if you want to hear the Yul Larson an interview make sure to check out the masters <laughs> of modern podcast he's kind of he's kind of obligated now yeah he has to he is Eldrazi obligated next tuesday to i mean show. we know a guy that knows him maybe you could yeah you know, next tuesday you'll larson what can you pay if me? he's yes. not there i'll uh will I'll, you pay I'll me wait, you know him will you pay me in buzzing pods <laughs> yeah i will Why? take all your buzzing pods they're, they're banned <laughs> not an easy <laughs> that's true it's in my marin deck right 
there. No, I hoped I would like pull the deck apart and it would be magically the card. It wasn't. It's somewhere. Actually, it was. You guys don't know because you're not here. That's I true. so just did that. Wow, we are so <laughs> off the rails. I don't even know what happened. Kessler, what's your uh, Twitter account? You can find me at Kess Wiley, K-E-S-S-W-Y-L-I-E. Uh, I'm almost at 666 Twitter followers, guys. And then You're the devil? I could be the devil. Let's so take it let's past. Let's make that happen. Let's make it 667. All right. All uh, well, right. If, I mean, yeah. Tell us about your More podcast. Where can we find your podcast? Uh, the podcast is at the MMCast. We are the sister podcast to you guys. We're hey. on rocketjump.com. Also, literally, if you just click that podcast link right above, it'll bring you right to my podcast. There where me is. and Ben talk about sweet modern stuff, brews, top 10 lists. We're going to be doing a run of having every top eight competitor in the modern pro tour that speaks English. Hopefully. <laughs> nice. You should get a couple that don't as well. We were debating it. We actually, so we had um, this guy who does MTG Tutor, uh, mm-hmm. which is another podcast yeah. uh, that interviews pros. And he was talking about he, how he got someone that doesn't speak English on once. And he had a translator literally on the podcast. Wow. And I was like, maybe you can edit it so you have that translator and that person like over each other like they you do on the National Geographic yeah, channel. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. So maybe if someone wants to be, if someone knows a pro that top eights and is a translator, <laughs> let's make it happen. Wait, do you want the pro to be the translator? No, I want I want the listener. Oh, you want the listener to be a translator and, and then be friends the with pro. the pro? Yeah, wow, it's a, it's that's a, synergy. A, yeah, that's synergy. That right is there. synergy. All right, our editor for the show is Terry Robertson, and special thanks, of course, to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card Animations. We have full videos for every single episode thanks to terry's great work you can check out jeffrey palmer's animations at living cards mtg and you can also watch our video podcast at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast not to mention we have kitchen table fables a Woo! web series live action magic the gathering it's a lot of fun and it's funny it features the professor from tillerian community college and that's about it oh have you guys been watching his like planeswalker cosplay series they're amazing because they're really good office they're hours office like, hours, like yeah. i'm 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 going to make a dac fade in cosplay for gpla you would and, be great for that and i'm going to because I, I totally because he's the only one I look like, but because <laughs> hey, he looks like Aladdin, I look like Aladdin. You it's can really do whatever you can do whatever you want. It's magic yeah. gathering. Well, I don't I don't want to I don't want to find sideburns to pull Gideon off. Ooh. Also, armor is hard. Gideon. I armor have like tough. I'm just gonna repurpose my Star Lord trench coat for Dax trench coat. Look it's forward easy. to that <laughs> at GPLA. Right, see you guys there. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, Bye, guys. Bye. See you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.